Okay, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, Let's start by praying. Father, your word is life. It gives life, it speaks life, it is life. Father, as you speak to us this morning, please change and shape our lives to become more like Jesus. Amen. Well, the the straw that broke the camel's back, the last straw, what do you think about when you hear that phrase? It speaks about how sometimes a small action might cause an unpredictably large reaction because of the, the cumulative effect of many small actions. What's an example of this that you can think of? You know, maybe your car broke down just one too many times and so you decided that you need to go get a new one. Maybe you'd been having a bad day and you know, something small happened. You know, the bus showed up one minute late and it was enough for you to just lose it. That, you know, that was the worst day ever because of that. Well, in today's passage, we see the last straw for Herod. God is giving Herod one last chance to turn back to him, to to acknowledge that Jesus is the king. Today in Acts 12, we see that the enemies of Jesus' kingdom will face his judgment. There will be no escaping. Standing opposed to Jesus and to God is not inconsequential. Over our time in Acts, again and again, we've seen just how unstoppable the, the unstoppable Jesus' kingdom is. We saw two weeks ago that Jesus is growing his kingdom by his people's preaching and generosity. Last week we saw that Jesus' kingdom is far more powerful than the kingdoms of this world. And this week, in a sense, we see what happens when those two facts meet. What happens when something or someone stands against Jesus' kingdom? Today we have two points as we look at what happens to Jesus' enemies. We're going to see those enemies defeated, and we're going to see Jesus victorious. So first, we're going to see the enemies defeated. Let's read from verses 19 to 22. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Here we have King Herod Agrippa king of Judea and some of the other surrounding areas. Now, we don't know what 
these people were quarrelling with him about. But we know that the people of Tyre and Sidon, well, they relied on Herod to have their food. They knew that they needed to have peace. They knew that they needed to be friends with Herod. And so it seems that they probably bribed you know, one of the, the king's servants to try and get an audience in front of him. And a big festival takes place and Herod stands in front of all the people looking glorious in all of his robes. And he, he speaks eloquently and all the people shout, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Now, whether or not they really thought so, it it, it doesn't really matter. Maybe they were just trying to flatter him. Maybe they really thought that he sounded like a god. It doesn't really matter. Because Herod doesn't deny it. And by not denying it, but by omission, he, he essentially claims to be God. He's declaring to everyone, I am God. I, I am what you're saying that I am. Declaring that he is all-powerful, that he is in control, he is all-knowing. And, you know, I think we start to see the problem with this from our first reading back in Ezekiel 28, where the ruler of Tyre, well, he had been calling himself a god. And that's the same Tyre that, that calls out to Herod that he has the voice of a God. I wonder if the ruler of Tyre back in Ezekiel 28 was calling himself God because everyone else was calling him God. But here, look at this. In verse 2, it says, In the pride of your heart you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you are a mere mortal and not a God though you think you are as wise as a god. You know, the biggest problem with falsely calling yourself God is that if there is a God, well, he's going to have some problems. Because look at again here in Ezekiel, that this God, well, he's not happy with it. From verse 6, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you think you are wise, as wise as a God, I am going to bring foreigners against you. The most ruthless of nations, they will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Will you then say, I am a God in the presence of those who kill you? You will be but a mortal. Not a God in the hands of those who slay you. We know from last week that Herod is an enemy of Jesus. And yet this only adds to Jesus' case against Herod, to, to Jesus' case to judge Herod. Because let, let's read from verse 22 and 23 again from Acts. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. 
the all-powerful Herod, with the voice of the God taken down like that. He stood no chance. See, the key word that stands out to me there is immediately. Luke wants to, to draw us to the direct link between the lack of a denial of the people's words and Herod's death. The death happens because of what Herod did, or, or rather, what he failed to do. It, this, this death here, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. It's not like you know, Herod finished speaking and he went down to say hi to the people and you know, he grabbed some food, and, and, but accidentally you know, he, he ate a bit of raw chicken and caught some food poisoning and, and threw up and died. No, this wasn't a coincidence. Jesus defeated Herod and showed to everyone just how wrong they were. Herod stood there with a choice. He could have stood up and said, People of Tyre and Sidon, what you shout is not true. I am just a man. Give your praises to the true God. But that's not what happens. He stands there, basking in the glory. Not knowing that this would be the last address that he would ever give. Herod is not escaping God's judgment. God has decided that Herod's time has come. And so his time comes. And the key thing is that God has the right to decide that. God has the right to judge all according to what they've done. Evil will not be left unaccounted for. That's a massive comfort for everyone there, isn't it? Evil won't be left unpunished. But on the other hand, that's a warning to those who are Jesus' enemies. Because Jesus will defeat his enemies. There is no earthly power or authority that if they stand against God, against his King Jesus, there is none that will escape his judgment. There is no individual that if they stand against King Jesus, will escape. Now, I think a fair enough question, though, is, well, why is this the last straw for Herod? Why is this when God decides to end Herod's life? What makes this one so special? You know, Herod does something pretty bad here. But he's been doing stuff that's pretty bad his whole life. Well, this seems to be just the final chance that God is giving Herod to change his direction. And essentially, it's going to be the same for everyone. For all of Jesus' enemies, there will be a last straw. A time when God decides, enough's enough. I've given you enough chances. Like Herod, 
God is going to judge all of Jesus' enemies. God is going to judge all sinners. Because this gets us to what the heart of sin is. Sin is making yourself an enemy of Jesus. And the way it does this is because sin is us declaring ourselves as in charge, ourselves as rulers of our life. That's all of us, isn't it? This is no longer just a Herod problem. This is an us problem. This is a Henry problem. This is a you problem. Sin means that we all reject the rule of God and try to run life our own way without him. We put the crown on our heads. Essentially, the heart of sin is saying, I'm God. I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who who can make reality what I want it to be. I am king. That's what sin is. And sin makes us rebels against Jesus' kingdom. Sin makes us enemies of Jesus and his kingdom. And we've seen in Herod what happens to Jesus' enemies. But even more, though, this is only the start. Because there's something really interesting there in verse 23. In describing Herod's death, it says, An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. The eaten by worms stuff. That's a really odd description, isn't it? What, why is that detail added in? Well, I think it seems to be suggesting that there's actually an ongoing judgment for Herod. Have a look here at Mark 9, verse 47 and 48. It says, It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die. And the fire is not quenched. Herod's judgment does not end at his death. There is an ongoing judgment for sin. Our sin, we will be judged and punished for it into eternity. That's what we deserve. Jesus isn't going to let his enemies get off the hook. We have become enemies of an eternal kingdom, and so our punishment is going to be eternal. Jesus will absolutely destroy his enemies. And because of our sin, that should mean us. But... Have a look here at Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
This is the good news of the gospel. While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus is no hypocrite when he calls us to love his enemies. He loved us, his enemies, enough to die for us. Jesus went to the cross for his enemies. He went to the cross for us. Because of our sin, we are Jesus' enemies. And because we are Jesus' enemies, we deserve the judgment that follows. But that all changes at the cross. We can start along a new path. A path where we are not Jesus' enemies, but his friends. His brothers and sisters, we we join Jesus' kingdom, we we join his team. And so when he triumphs, when he is victorious, so are we. And that's why this point two isn't just good news for Jesus, it's good news for us. We're in point two, Jesus victorious. See, there's two key aspects of Jesus' victory that I want to draw us to. The first is Jesus' victory over sin and death. And the second is the victory of Jesus' unstoppable gospel going to the world. As humans, we have so many enemies, don't we? We constantly turn our eyes to fight against something. And, and you know, then, then a couple of months or maybe years later, it's something else. And you know, a lot of these things are really good things that we should be fighting for and, and should be declaring as our enemies. Poverty, crime, drugs, domestic violence, climate change, disease, COVID. We can and should fight against many of these things. But our greatest enemy, the thing that leads to all of these things being problems in the first place, is sin and death. Nobody has been able to defeat death. Everyone who has gone up against it has lost There's a reason that when we talk about things being certain, we compare them to death. But there is no enemy that can stand against Jesus. Nothing can stand against the power of our Lord. He is the King. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus will even defeat death. Jesus has defeated death. Death has been swallowed up in Jesus' victory, and so we can cry out, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death has no hold on us when we are in Christ because he didn't stay dead. He was victorious even over death. Nothing could hold him down. 
death has been defeated. And so while we still die, if we trust in Christ, then death will have no hold on us. It will not be able to hold us down. Do you get that? You don't have to fear death. Because Jesus has won. If you're a Christian, someone who has put your trust in Jesus, who relies on his death and resurrection, then this is you today. Sin and death have been defeated. Jesus on the cross bore your sin. And so as a Christian, I know that I don't want to live like I'm still under God's judgment there. We need to fight sin. And then as he rose, he defeated death for you. Death will not be the end for you. And you won't be facing the punishment for your sin. Rejoice in that. Know that there is no need to fear these things because Jesus has won. How easy is it to be afraid in times like this? When it feels like the end of the world. I'm sure it hasn't been an easy week for you. And unfortunately, there's a good chance that next week might not be any better. But we have something that the rest of our world doesn't have. Hope. And a knowledge that death can't hold us. We can look at COVID so differently from everyone else because we know that death has been defeated by our King Jesus. But maybe you're watching and you aren't yet a Christian. Jesus is welcoming you in today. He's ready to take the punishment that you deserve, that you deserve for being his enemy. But you don't have to stay his enemy. Come and join his kingdom today. And sin and death will have no power over you either. There's one other aspect of Jesus' victory that I I just want to point us to briefly, and that's the victory of the gospel message. Let's read verse 24 from Acts 12. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Are we at all surprised here that that Luke, the author of Acts, wants to remind us here of the progress of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is growing his kingdom. An enemy has stood in the way, and so like that, Jesus removes the enemy. And the, the kingdom continues to spread. See, the gospel is going to keep on going out. That's what we've seen in each of these three weeks. 
the gospel will be victorious. The word of God will continue to spread and flourish. The direct result of Jesus crushing his enemy here is that the good news of the gospel is going out. And, you know, the direct result of Jesus crushing sin and death is that the gospel will go out today too. You know, I, I think I need a reminder about that from today's passage. Because I've been doing a whole bunch of thinking into Open Day, you know, which was supposed to be coming up in three weeks. It was going to be a day where the gospel message is proclaimed clearly and hopefully people would come to, to know Jesus and others would come and want to investigate him more. And then in what seemed like a matter of seconds, COVID reappears and open day is postponed. Maybe you were planning on inviting someone, someone and now just feel deflated because... COVID seems to have stopped all possible evangelism. But nothing can stop the gospel. And nothing can stop it from going out. You know, I, I have no doubt, maybe not here at Gladesville, but there will be people in the next few weeks during lockdown who will come to know Jesus. Because the gospel is unstoppable. Jesus' kingdom will be victorious. Let's pray. Father, Jesus is the king. Because of our sin, we deserve your judgment. But because of what our king has done, our judgment and punishment has been taken. Father, thank you that we can share in Jesus' victory. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.